Hey, Dan. What up, guy? You're into this fintech. What's all this I'm hearing about Current? You're going to like this guy. Current is a fintech company that's completely disrupting traditional banking. Wait a second. Does that mean I don't have to drive to the bank anymore? <laughs> yeah, exactly. I manage an important part of my family's finances from one easy-to-use app. Well, I got to get this app, but where can I learn more? It's super easy. Just go to Current.com slash OK, O-K-A-Y, and download the app. That's Current.com slash OK. Current is a financial technology company, not a bank. Banking services provided by Choice Financial Group, member FDIC, and Cross River Bank, member FDIC. Welcome to OK Computer. I'm Dan Nathan, joined by Deirdre Bosa. She is the host of CNBC's Tech Check. Debo, welcome to the pod. Hi, Dan. Happy to be here. All right. We got so much to talk about. I know that this has been a very busy few days for you. But after our conversation, I sit down with Matt Turk. He is a partner at First Mark Capital. He is an investor in the AI space and has been for a long time. He's also the host of the podcast, Mad Podcast with Matt Turk, and he and I go over just this whole OpenAI Microsoft saga, really through the lens of a private markets investor. And obviously, we spent a lot of time talking about what it means for the public market ecosystem. You and I are going to do all that too, but I'm really interested in hearing about just some of the conversations, obviously, on background. This was a seismic sort of uh, shakeup in, in the AI, both private and, and public markets space. And I think you have a really interesting take. I've been and watching you on Twitter. I've been watching you on CNBC. You know how this thing is unfolding, but really just the implications across both the public and the private markets because it's been really interesting. Deepa, what were some of your first takes? Because when this came out on Friday, I just don't think there was like any hint that there was something like going to go down uh, in the way in which it did. And really, days later, here we are. We're recording this Tuesday afternoon, and it doesn't seem to be like a whole heck of a lot of progress or a lot of answers. Yeah, I'll say the first thing is that. We still don't know why the board took the actions that they did. A lot has been speculated, but you're right, Dan, when this dropped on Friday, I had not taken off for the day, luckily. And the first thing I saw was Sam Altman's out. I said, okay. And then I read the statement from the board, which is when my jaw really dropped because in no uncertain terms, they put the blame on Sam Altman himself, the golden boy, the golden child of Silicon Valley and generative AI and made it seem like he wasn't being forthcoming or transparent with the board. So that just led to a absolutely wild weekend of speculation of everyone frantically trying to get answers and a lot of people rushing to Sam Altman's defense, a few others saying maybe there was some questionable stuff in the past. And I, I don't know that we <laughs> know many answers at this point. You even had Microsoft CEO Satya Nadella doing the media rounds. He came on CNBC last night and saying, not a whole lot. I will say he did not say a whole lot after tweeting in the very early hours of the morning that Sam Altman was going to Microsoft. That wasn't the case. And we still don't know where that stands. Yeah. So he did the rounds. Okay. So let's talk about that a little bit uh, because I, it was during Fast Money. And so John Fort had Satya on there. He asked him a handful of questions. There weren't too many specific answers. It didn't even seem like he was prepared to say that Sam Altman and, and Greg Brockman were um, actually employees of Microsoft at that point. So it seemed like a lot of stuff was still up in the air. What, what do you think was behind that at that moment? I know he went on Kara Swisher's podcast. He went on a whole host of other things on 
Bloomberg and the like there. What was the goal if he didn't have a lot of answers, right, to questions that folks like you and I want to know? Why did he spend a lot of time speaking to the press last night on Monday? In one word, and this particularly relates to why he would come on CNBC, reassurance. Microsoft's entire business is modeled around the cloud and they have the number two position behind Amazon, but they're growing faster. They have a lot at stake here. And to lead in cloud right now and in the future, you need to be seen as having the best generative AI products, even if not a lot of your customers are using them. They're interested in using them and they know that this is a technological shift that they can't miss. Satya Nadella has done a very good job this year of coming out and saying, we're on top of this trend. We have partnered and we have in, in many ways the exclusive partnership with the darling in this space, OpenAI. And I think that's been a big boon to their cloud business and that's how they're modeling growth going forward. So Satya Nadella had to come on CNBC and essentially reassure customers because you can bet that Amazon and Google are going out right now and talking to many of their customers saying, you can't put all your eggs in one basket. At the very least, you need to have some of your processes on our cloud as well. We have also been developing generative AI tools. And I think that OpenAI has said in the past that they have more than 90% of Fortune 500 companies. And because of the way the partnership works, they have to go through Azure, right? So that's customers, that's revenue for Microsoft's Azure cloud business. And I think that's just as important to note here as the generative AI tools, which are still being pioneered. It's interesting. So th that's a great point. And when you think about Azure and you think about the growth that they just put up in that last quarter, 29%, I think you've highlighted this on many occasions on the pod, AWS, which is the market share leader, they're growing at, at less than half that rate, right? For for Microsoft, this has been a huge boon. Like they have the, the tools and the technology, the IP from OpenAI integrated into to a, a lot of their products and services, but then also when you talk about 90% of the Fortune 500 or whatever, which are Microsoft customers who actually want to be testing these tools and, and the gateway to testing those tools is through Microsoft's cloud, that seems like a pretty good do on their part, right? And so the, the idea that Satya needs to get out there and do a bit of damage control when it feels like OpenAI is employing or at least their best talent, because really it's one thing for them to have access to that IP. But if that IP does not continue to grow and get better, right, through that relationship, it yeah. what it, it, it really is going to be the sort of thing where, you know, a lot of those customers will look to have multiple sources of access to these sorts of competitive tools on different cloud platforms. And it was also to go out there for that exact point, right? Right now, a talent war is going on. Every company that is developing generative AI is looking to poach the employees that are willing to leave OpenAI now and don't know what the future of that startup or research lab, whatever you want to call it, looks like. You had Benioff, right, publicly on Twitter and people from Microsoft publicly on Twitter, but behind the scenes, it is a scramble. I spoke to a startup founder yesterday who said that if you're not reaching out to those open AI employees, you have a bad AI team in the first place. So there's just that massive rush and probably Satya Nadella could come on TV and make that case. And that was really his central message is that we have the resources to do so because as we've talked about, Dan, this is a shift that requires 
billions of dollars in compute power, which Microsoft has access to, again, through the cloud. All roads lead to the cloud. Yeah, so so it's interesting. The initial market reaction Friday afternoon was to sell Microsoft off a little bit, and again, from an all-time high, to be very clear, $2.8 trillion market cap, okay? It got back there before Apple has gotten back to its all-time highs. It's basically dragging up large parts of, of the NASDAQ with it. And Alphabet, Google, sold off. Now, on Monday, when it appeared that this coup resulted in a actual coup for Microsoft getting the CEO, the president, and maybe large parts of that kind of employee base, Microsoft started going back higher. And, and then obviously there's a little pressure on some of their public market competitors. What is your thought though? There's been some folks out there opining on, on Twitter and the like here that this puts Microsoft actually in a much worse position to actually have all of these engineers and the management of this, what was meant to be a nonprofit, right? So they had this kind of arm's length agreement as far as their ownership of this entity, but they had access to all the IP. What are your thoughts on the fact that maybe they are in a worse position if they have to bring all of this in-house, right? Like, what, what does that do for Microsoft and their ability? Because we know that there's two, I, I think the folks out there in Silicon Valley are calling them tribes, right? Like those who want to actually tap the, the, the brake a little bit, make sure they're doing this in a really responsible manner. And then those who just want to commercialize as much of this um, technology as possible and, and start letting it drop to the bottom line. Yeah, and that's really at the crux of this issue. As we started this podcast, we said that there's still so much unknown. The fact that people are out there saying that this was brilliant move by Microsoft and Satya Nadella, and they're the undisputed winners of this saga. I think it's just way too early to tell. You bring up some of the risks if OpenAI or its key people go to Microsoft, there's reputational and executional risk that goes along with that. ChatGPT is far from perfect. It hallucinates. And you could chalk that up to say, okay, it's hallucinating, but this is a research lab. They're trying to figure it all out. And at the core of their belief is doing it right and protecting humanity. Now, Microsoft, a for-profit company, is going to have to take on that risk. And we just don't know what the use cases are and how these chatbots are going to develop. So Microsoft can no longer put its hands up and say, that's the research lab. It's not us. If they're so integrated, they have to execute on it as well. And I think also the idea that are all these engineers, data scientists from OpenAI going to want to stay at Microsoft three years from now, four years from now, even one year from now in Silicon Valley? People on Wall Street chuckle at this, but there is this sort of high-minded altruistic idea that when you're an entrepreneur here or even an investor, you start a company, the goal is to disrupt the status quo, change the world. And that's very much at the center of OpenAI's charter. When you go to Microsoft, the calculus is a little bit different. Satya Nadella can say all he wants that they want to achieve the same things, but this is a company that answers to shareholders. It's public. And it, it was interesting because Sam Altman, just a few weeks ago, he gave an interview to the Financial Times. He said, essentially, that they can't do what they want to do with a last generation technology company. So it's a, a 180. And I, I'm not commenting on that. I'm saying that maybe that is the way to get things done. And maybe that's what happened. There's been compromises along the way, but there's certainly no shortage of risk in it. It's interesting to me, and I like the contrarian take that we just quoted here, but I actually want to probably go with the consensus here. And I said it on Fast Money on Monday and in my conversation with Matt Turk, we talked about this. I, I think at some point next year, Microsoft will overtake Apple in market cap and might never, ever look back. And I just think about this, if they are able to integrate large parts of this team and they're able to give them the sort of autonomy that Satya is talking about, and he's highlighted a couple recent acquisitions in the tech space and 
And and I think a lot of folks, they'll look at LinkedIn and say that was Satya's first successful M&A and integration here. And he's been there for about 10 years. And I'm sure at some point, the idea of succession makes some sort of sense. And, and maybe Sam Altman fits into that plan, oh if, if, if you will. <laughs> I know I'm just, I, listen, again, I, I, I'm trying to be a, a little bit optimistic here, but I think of a company that's doing a quarter of a trillion dollars in sales. It's got a 65% gross margin. And you think their ability, they're nowhere in consumer sort of facing sort of businesses. Again, one of the big things earlier this year, and you and I talked a lot about if Bing was ever to, able to integrate a bunch of this technology and take meaningful share from Google. And then really, but the focus for you and I has been on what does it mean for their enterprise businesses, right? What does it mean for their competition with, with Google for productivity? What does it mean for their competition with AWS and cloud? And I could put together a bit of a mosaic where this really supercharges this company's margins over the next few years and really sets a succession plan. Who knows? Again, this is a company that missed some of the biggest platform shifts. If you think about internet and if you think about mobile going back over the last 25 years, and I think Satya has set his sights on never letting that happen again. So again, we have so few answers. Who knows? This is just purely my speculation. Dan, I I don't disagree with you. I think that this could create a really interesting proposition. I think that the nonprofit model was one of these pie in the sky, Silicon Valley ideas that in practice didn't deliver. Maybe Anthropic will find a way for it to do so, but I have my own skepticism. And when you talk about Microsoft needing that consumer facing product, I haven't seen anything like ChatGPT, just the user growth and the mainstream adoption. And remember too, that Sam Altman, at least according to reports, has been thinking about hardware, has been thinking about a new device. So if Satya Nadella is determined not to miss this one, I mean, he's putting his money where his mouth is. Yeah, no doubt. And then to your point about hardware, Sam Altman was supposedly, and this might've been something else that ruffled the board's feathers, right? Is that he was in Saudi Arabia recently and looking to raise billions of dollars for hardware, but also for designing chips to compete with NVIDIA. And I, I think they even enlisted Johnny Ive, the ex-Apple designer Steve Jobs' muse for so long and, and some of these big products in a way. And listen, if this is the sort of team that has those sorts of big ideas and can help implement those inside Microsoft, maybe it is the opportunity to reassert themselves on one of the biggest platform shifts that we can all agree is likely to take place in technology over the next few years. Dee, were there any, you, you, I, I know you've been on the phone, I know you've been talking a whole host of different folks, any other big takeaways that our listeners should think about in the background, especially as this is all going to play itself out probably over the next few days or weeks before the dust really settles. Is there anything from a market's perspective that you think people should keep in some sort of context? Matt Turk and I, at the very end, after about 30 minutes of talking, we finally got to Meta. You and I have talked about Llama and the open source approach or what Amazon might be doing and thinking about. They've been tripping over Alphabet to invest in Anthropic. There's also been talks about potential. The OpenAI board went to the Anthropic founder, who's ex-OpenAI, to see if they were interested in a merger or him. Just why? Wild. Yeah, no, it's a, a <laughs> lot of wild stuff. So I'm just curious, any anything uh, out of left field that you think we should keep our, our eyes open to over the next few days as this kind of plays out? One of the topics I've discussed so much here in the Bay Area over the past year is this idea of big tech getting bigger. And do the startups even have a chance because of the way that generative AI is developing? It requires just enormous amounts of compute power. And I think that is as relevant today as it was a week ago. Is it possible for startups, especially a different kind of startup, up to exist in this shift. And the events of the last few days has made it clear that 
big tech has its grasp on this. And some are calling what Microsoft was able to do a zero dollar acquisition at the end of the day with no regulatory scrutiny. I saw Lena Khan, she did the chair of the FTC. She did a listening tour through the Bay Area just a few weeks ago. I saw her speak at Y Combinator. There was this open question. A lot of startups were in the room. They said, how are you going to help us compete? On the other side, though, some startups say that it's really good that big tech can subsidize the compute power that they need to build applications on top of this massive technology change. So that's something that I think is important to keep an eye on. And, you know, the markets have very much telegraphed the picks and shovels of this, the NVIDIA and the chip names that are going to benefit. But what comes next is the infrastructure companies like Databricks and Snowflake and Data. I, I wonder what role they're going to play. If it's necessarily just going to go to the big players, maybe there's a chance for them. So that'll be interesting to see how it plays out. I'm going to get you for one or two more minutes because this is crossing the wires right now and you're going to get really busy here. So here's a headline. Altman, open eye board, open talks for his possible return. Altman now in communication with board member D'Angelo. I think it's interesting that uh, Nadella specifically mentioned in those interviews that he knows that one board member in particular, I think he is the CEO founder of Quora and has worked with him. So I wonder to all of the stuff that we've just been talking about, whether Satya Nadella agrees with you that he thinks it's better that Sam and team are actually back at OpenAI with better oversight, with better governance. Like Microsoft will most definitely have board seats here and that board will look very different. Quick take on that because I know you probably have to get back to reporting. I think that makes a whole lot of sense. These companies began as research labs for a reason, even if they become profitable as Microsoft would like to have those incentives more aligned. That's probably best case scenario for Satya Nadella and Microsoft. All the benefits of OpenAI and Sam Altman, while not directly having them under their purview with the risks that comes along with that reputational and execution. Yeah. And just the, another headline that's crossing is possible outcome, adding all into transitional open AI board. So this is going to be something that Microsoft will have that arm's length for anything that goes wrong, but they're also going to have a lot of control on what happens from here on out. Listen, Debo, I really appreciate you making the time for this conversation. I love your perspectives here next week. I'm sure we're going to have a lot more to talk about. I hope you can come back. I hope you have a great Thanksgiving. I think you're going to be on the phone a lot over the next few days. Yes. No, no doubt. We'll see where we are next week. This is the year that tech keeps giving us these massive stories and ruining my weekend. So we'll see if that happens again. Thanks for having me. As All well. right, Debo. Thanks a lot. All right, everyone stick around for my conversation with Matt Turk, partner over there at First Mark Capital. Thanks so much. Hey, listeners, it's Dan here. I want to tell you about a company that I'm really excited about. It's called Current. It's a fintech company that's completely disrupting traditional banking. I'm a new Current customer. It's already helping me and my entire family manage our finances, all from one easy-to-use app. So try Current for yourself and get the app by going to current.com slash OK. That's current.com slash OK. Current is a financial technology company, not a bank. Banking services provided by Choice Financial Group, member FDIC, and Cross River Bank, member FDIC. With CME Group's micro-sized futures and options, you can access the same transparency and liquidity of the benchmark contracts with less upfront financial commitment. Diversify your portfolio and manage your exposure with the flexibility of CME Group micro-contracts in crypto, metals, FX, energy, and equity indices. Learn more about what adding futures can do for you at cmegroup.com slash micros. 
Welcome back to OK Computer. I am joined by Matt Turk. He is a partner at First Mark Capital here in New York City. He is also the host of the Mad Podcast with Matt Turk. You can find that in your favorite podcast store. Matt, you were last on the pod when you released, I think it was your 10th annual Mad Report, which your podcast is named after. That's machine learning, AI, and data. This is something you've done every year for the last 10 years since you've been at Firstmark. And we spent a lot of time, Rick, your partner was on that last show with us. You guys were not Johnny-come-latelys to this space. This is something that you have been very passionate about, uh, first as an entrepreneur and obviously as an early stage investor for a very long time. So everything that's going Going on with OpenAI and Microsoft and in the ecosystem. I'm sure you've been on the horn with your peers, with companies that you're advising, invested in. I know you're on the board of a, a bunch of companies, DataIQ and Synthesia, and we're going to get to all that stuff. So talk to us a little bit about how this last few days, put it in some sort of context, as long as you've been in tech, as long as you've been a tech investor. To me, when I saw that headline Friday afternoon, I was preparing to go on to CNBC's Fast Money. I was kind of like, holy shit. And that's not because because it's some big market moving thing in the public markets. I'm like, when you just think about what happened, that is not something that occurs too frequently when a board of a nonprofit that runs a for-profit thing that is uh, CEO and, and co-founded by one of the kind of most famous poster children for this emerging technology, it was a seismic move that happened Friday afternoon. A lot of people in tech, I got nothing done on the Saturday <laughs> and Sunday. My productivity level went to zero as I was basically doom scrolling through uh, Twitter yeah. or X uh, all day. I mean, it, you, you can make this up, right? This is like a telenovela or like a hurricane of news, but it's really a story that has everything, greed and fear and ambition and betrayal. And it's just amazing. Some very important questions are still unanswered. Who's going to play Sam Altman in the movie? Yes, obviously. When is the movie coming out? Yes. Probably Michael Sarah. maybe. I don't know. We'll, oh, let's think good. about that. That's a good one. Well, listen, I, one of the things that, that I wanted to get you over here and get you on the mic here is because I know this is a, a space that you've obviously invested in and you're very involved in, but it's also something that you know a whole heck of a lot about. And I don't want to really do what everyone else is doing as far as like the boardroom drama because it's still playing out. Satya Nadella was on Fast Money last night while we were doing the show on CNBC. John Ford had a great interview with him. I think it was his first interview that he did. And it's interesting, aside from support for Sam, support for their mission with OpenAI, there wasn't a lot of clarity on what's going on. So no one knows how this is going to shake out. So I'd really love this conversation to focus a bit on how let's say private market investors should think about this and public market investors. When I think about the NASDAQ, which is basically back to its January 2022 highs or so, a lot of that has been driven by, let's call it 10 stocks. Half of them are above a trillion, above 2 trillion, or very much nearing a trillion. And a lot about excitement about AI and how it's going to be integrated into their platforms, products, and services and the like. So I think there's a lot at stake. And then you and I were talking before we turned the mics on, there's tens of billions, maybe hundreds of billions that have been allocated towards companies in the private markets globally over, let's call it the last 12 to 18 months or so. So there's some big implications because how this shakes out is going to really define, I think, who a lot of these companies are working with, where they get funding from, who they're run by, and the like here. So let's start with this. You advise companies. You're invested in early estate. They're partnered with OpenAI, with Anthropic, with some of these other companies. What was the first reaction to the news? Let's make the assumption here that there's one of two things that are going to happen. OpenAI either is going to implode and all that talent is going to, let's say, or a lot of it's going to go to Microsoft and it probably ends up at Anthropic, Cohere, Alphabet, like a bunch of Amazon, possibly Salesforce and the like here. Or the team goes back with a new board and they're back to their mission. It's maybe a strong 
stronger, more viable entity going forward. Okay, how are you thinking about advising the companies in your portfolio right now on those two outcomes? Yeah, I think from a uh, startup perspective and VC perspective, uh, I think overall in a weird way, that's good news. Yeah. Uh, I think it just opens up the playing field in a way uh, that uh, I think is good for innovation mm-hmm. altogether. What, what makes the, the story particularly poignant and, and interesting is that, from my perspective, OpenAI had reached its all-time high just a few days before all of this went down. Right, mm-hmm. That was the OpenAI Dev Day. Mm-hmm. We can discuss whether OpenAI, at that Dev Day, showed clearly to the world that it had completely moved away from its original mission, which may or may not have been precipitated in the events. But, but regardless, it was just just awesome to watch. And the level of ambition at OpenAI just was amazing. So if you think about it, OpenAI, especially at Dev Day, showed how it wanted to be the best company in consumer AI, Mm -hmm. but also in enterprise AI, Mm -hmm. and also be the best AI company for developers. So if you think of startups normally going from one niche, going to one audience, and then expanding to the next one, and then expanding to the next one over a journey of Mm -hmm. 10 years, OpenAI was trying to do all the things for all people and basically sucking the air out of the room. And from a VC perspective, that invest in companies that are trying to do all the things, that was pretty terrifying, to be perfectly honest. Mm-hmm. And the fact that this, I think, is going to go away one way or the other, I think is good news, opens up lots of opportunities for entrepreneurs. All right, so let's, that's really fascinating. So as, a, as an investor in startups, you found it kind of scary because ultimately the thing that popularized OpenAI was the release of ChatGPT4, which was a consumer-facing product that actually had massive adoption. It was one of the quickest apps ever to, what, 100 million. It's doing a billion dollars in revenue. And as far as enterprise solutions, that was really what the partnership with Microsoft was about. And so when you think about that, we've been talking about it on CNBC the last couple of days, again, through the lens of what it means for Microsoft or Amazon or Alphabet or whatever. To me, is the consumer applications of ChatGPT were a bit of a sideshow. It was always going to be what it means for enterprise, what it means for a company like Microsoft that has 250 billion dollars in in revenue a lot of it recurring how do you make that stickier how do you charge more for a bunch of those services and the like here so let, let, let's talk a little bit about again where have you been focused as far as ai have you been more interested in enterprise or is it some of the consumer facing sort of products i know at first mark you guys have tremendous history investing in consumer facing digitized products and stuff so how, how do you shake out in that regard consumer versus enterprise yeah so as investors we're interested in both consumer and enterprise me personally more interested in an enterprise. Yeah. I think there's a whole world of exciting vertical AI applications that one can build. AI for health, AI for finance, and so on and so forth, which as long as you do work at the model level, in a sort of full stack manner, I think you can build very interesting and differentiated and sustainable, defensible companies. So that's certainly some an area that we have been watching. I think what's happening with OpenAI is also opening a whole world of kind of uh, that middle layer of orchestration and operations, which was in the process of being taken over by OpenAI. And I think that's really interesting. So going back to the dev day, what scared you about it is, again, if you're trying to find great talent and working on new ideas and and, and getting in early. When you looked at the dev day, you just saw them crowding out a, a lot of this capability because essentially what they're doing is saying, here's our technology, here's the things that you can do with it. There's a lot of folks in tech who were just floored by it. It was like a lot of the commentary was like, we haven't seen one of these kind of product addresses since Steve Jobs introducing the whiz-bang iPhone or this and that or whatever. And so all of a sudden it's okay. The Sam was like the anointed one and it got a lot of people excited. And I'm 
sure the techie in you was excited, but the investor was like, oh my goodness, here's a company that has unlimited funds, essentially because Microsoft will continue coming back and, and funding their operations. And therefore, a lot of the innovation for the first time in a while might likely come from incumbents. Is that the way you were thinking of it? Not from the startup community? You, you mentioned uh, my mad annual landscape, yeah. which uh, if anybody has not come across it, is, is one of these uh, kind of market maps, except it's for data machine learning and AI. So it has like 1,400 companies. So it's a bit of an eye chart with thousands of logos. And actually, tweet, you know, after Dev Day, I like memed that. And I, I, I took a screenshot of the 2023 version, which has all the logos. And then next to it, I put a 24 version where, where there was no logo except for OpenAI. And that was going to be the 2024 version. And I said, that's going to be easier to make this year. Yeah. And that was, a, that was the dominant feeling. But I think, that's, I think that's going away. And by the way, I don't think there is a going back to the way things were before. Regardless of the scenario, I think that's, I think that's different. A lot of people have rightly praised Satya for like pulling off the, the corporate move of the century. And a lot of people are calling him the GOAT and look, certainly extraordinarily impressive CEO. But I, I don't think that Microsoft is better off with Sam and Greg moving to their lab. No, I have a little bit of a, a different view. So first of all, I, I find it very hard to believe that Sam and Greg and whoever moves there is going to stick around for a very long time. Yeah. It's always a problem. And second, the, the whole genius of the setup of having Microsoft being effectively the, the, the main backer and driving things a little bit behind the scenes with OpenAI was that it basically gave Microsoft a license to innovate mm-hmm. without all the risks yeah. attached, right? So that, that the... On the trust and safety side and, and basically yeah, yeah. a broader direction. And it seems like that, that those are the issues that actually cause this sort of implosion yeah. over OpenAI. And the last thing you'd want to do is see that all playing out at a $2.8 trillion market cap company. Yeah, exactly. exactly. And, and micro- hundreds of funds all, you know, that's sort of the end. Yeah, Microsoft, that the Tay fiasco that, yeah. that bought that ended up insulting folks. Meta had its Galactica problem. Yeah. And Google, the, the whole irony of the whole thing, as we all know, is that the, a lot of the transform architecture that led to GPT and all of the things was started at Google. But Google kept it inside for many years and decided not to release it precisely out of concern yeah. that they would get in trouble. There was like the duplex release, if you remember that, so that also yeah. got Google into some some price. So, so the whole genius of the setup was like Microsoft said, okay, you go do the crazy stuff and we'll pull the, the strings behind the scenes. And now they can no longer do that. So I actually think that if you think of the kind of the coup at OpenAI as the decel part of the AI ecosystem mm-hmm. trying to slow things down, I actually think they have succeeded because Sam and Greg and whoever at Microsoft is not going to be able to innovate with the same level of freedom mm-hmm. as they were up until last Friday. Yeah, and it's interesting that whole D-cell movement, that was the thing that was playing out within OpenAI. And, and it was like, it seemed like in hindsight now, it was always going to come to a head and, 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 unless yes. that, unless Sam and his, what do they call them, tribe, you know what I mean, were able just to run Ramshot. But that being said, if Sam and Greg and, and the whole thing, if they come back and it's a new board, so as of this, we're recording this Tuesday morning, I think as of last night, 700 of the 770 employees had signed a letter, this is at OpenAI, if the board doesn't resign and they 
they don't bring those folks back, they're leaving, okay? And then you're gonna have this massive diaspora. I'm sure hundreds will go to Microsoft. And listen, if hundreds go to Microsoft, I think the likelihood that Microsoft and that team stay there for a while are probably pretty good. That's my thing. And then some of the fears about the pace in which innovation is going and who's at risk for this and that, they dissipate a little bit. In my personal opinion, I think public investors are probably gonna give them a pass here because when I think about this whole enterprise opportunity versus let's say what's going on in the consumer side, I'd almost say, okay, let Alphabet, let Google, and let some of these other folks deal with the consumer stuff. We're thinking about our installed base and and how to make it more productive and and more profitable and and the like, and integrating this sort of technology across thousands and thousands of enterprises around the world. And this to me, my first blush is like, oh man, Microsoft's been nipping at Apple's heels for the largest market cap company in the world. And now if this team really is there and they really are going to be putting this in every part of of this operation over at Microsoft, Microsoft next year will overtake Apple in market cap and they will never look back. I'm just like, that's my personal take on that. Yeah, and by the way, those two things can be true at the same time, right? right. Uh, You can take whatever OpenAI has built to date and roll it out in the enterprise and that's certainly going to lead to extraordinary value. But at the same time, it can also be true that the pace of sort of frontier innovation is going to slow down because Microsoft cannot take the risk of doing anything too crazy. But it's funny, think about it this way. Let, let's just say in, in a perfect world, it seems like Satya and, and, and Sam have a bit of a bromance. Let's assume that there was nothing really unsavory about his departure from Y Combinator and then really some of the initial suggestions of why he was fired. Sam Altman could in five years become CEO of Microsoft, which is the first $5 trillion market cap company or something. You know what I mean? Yeah. Like, there's a story there, in, in my yeah, opinion. I, I, so it's very, it's very possible. Yeah. And, and, and by the way, I, I got to say, if we think about the, the, the winners and the losers in the whole thing, I mean, Sam is, to me, the biggest winner, yeah. uh, even though he got fired, because it's really been the coronation of Sam as yeah. the rightful heir of Steve Jobs. Yeah. And he's behaved superbly, very much above the fray during the last few days. And those hundreds of OpenAI loyalists just wanting to quit the job and, and follow them. Granted, OpenAI might be a, a sinking ship, but that's yeah. just a beautiful thing to watch. And that's been an amazing week, weekend for him. That Well, it's funny. That was my first take Friday at five o'clock on, on CNBC's Fast Money. Uh, our host came to me and I just said, listen, this guy has been literally the poster child. He's minted more billionaires, let's say in Silicon Valley through his experience with Y Combinator, his ability to access and recruit and retain talent at uh, OpenAI has been something really unique in a way. And I know folks like you, because as you're advising your company, and, and talent is a big part of that, right? At an early stage, like how do you get and keep the best people at an early stage company? They always get big deals dangled in front of them from some of the large public companies. Yeah. And then OpenAI was just a different sort of ball of wax. I want to go back to the Microsoft thing and, and some of the stuff that surprises you. This was a tweet from Bill Gurley. This is Monday. Okay, if you told me 10 years ago that a group of the smartest engineers in the land would evoke the threat, do I want to stay or will I go to work at Microsoft? I would not have believed you amazing shift in corporate reputation and much credit to Satya. So again, Sam, as you said, looks great. Satya is looking pretty good too oh, yeah. right now. So talk to me about just that from, from a VC perspective, the way Gurley just lays it out. Is the landscape sort of shifting or has it been shifting? And again, when you think of your mad report that you put out earlier this year, and when we last potted, we were talking about it, the interactivity of it is really fascinating. I think that was the first time you did that. When you play around with it, 
there's a lot of these huge publicly traded platform companies that are really dominating in the space. And is that a big shift? You know what I mean? Are we going to start seeing safety in these large numbers? For sure. It's a very different story for all AI startups than prior waves of cloud computing mm -hmm. or mobile in that the incumbents that you're fighting against are not the prototypical lazy incumbents. They are, in fact, where a lot of this innovation came from in the first place. We mentioned Google mm -hmm. earlier. And they are tech companies and some of them were startups not that long ago. And their level of reactivity to this whole wave has been pretty impressive to watch. I'm a VC. I guess the, the term of the day is I'm a techno-optimist. Yeah. I, I always think that startups find a way and there's plenty of opportunities to to build but perhaps not as much as everybody thought when ChatGPT came out and there was going to be a startup for everything i think there's going to be a lot of opportunities but maybe not uh, for every single product out there so l let's talk about that a little bit because again microsoft if you go back and think about 20 years ago they were and i think this is Gurley's point too is like they were the opposite of that they missed two of the biggest platform shifts if you think about it obviously they missed the internet really for all and purposes, they missed mobile. And it wasn't until they booted Balmer, you know, what, 10 years ago or so, and Satya took over and he really, you know, mapped a very different course. And it go back to, I remember thinking at the time that acquisition of LinkedIn was one of the largest tech acquisitions ever, right? And the internet was $26, $27 billion or something like that. And, you know, a lot of us like pundits like me or whatever, public markets guys, we thought it was really silly. That was a high price to pay. If you looked at their track record with M&A, they were historically horrible at it. You know what I mean? In large deals. And, and the like. And when you think about the 10 years that's occurred, he's really been a really sleepy sort of figure, but doing almost everything right as it relates to building out cloud and what that meant for machine learning and, and, and AI and the like. And here we are, we're at like a crossroads right here. And, and for all intents and purposes, you'd be a fool to bet against them. That, that doesn't mean buying or selling the stock right here. So let's think about how does this play out? How are you thinking about, assuming we don't know the outcomes, but right now, what does it mean for Google? You know what I mean? What does it mean for Amazon? They've been tripping over each other to invest in Anthropic. Does one of them try to buy Anthropic? You know what I mean? I think the last invested like $20 billion at a multiple of sales, which makes no sense. There's a bunch of other companies that might do the same job. If OpenAI is swallowed up by Microsoft, are we going to see a lot of M&A from some of Microsoft's public market competitors in the space? Yeah, look, I, I, I don't necessarily think so. I think those companies are going to be extremely expensive and Anthropic already has its own full cap table and investors and all the things. This is a very different animal from everything I know. I, th I think we were saying a minute earlier that all of this is, opens up opportunities for startups. I think it very much opens up opportunities for large public companies as well. Then Google, that had ironically, again, fallen behind as an opportunity to catch up. I think that's true for uh, a lot of other companies. I think AWS has been the big uh, open question from my perspective. That They have a nice alliance with Hugging Face, but otherwise feel like they've been behind. I think Salesforce is trying very hard. Uh, you know, Mark Benioff made offers to open AI researchers, match their company if they join and all the things. So that everybody's trying very hard. But I think that effectively gives an opportunity for everybody to catch up. So now, are they going to buy startups? I think it's, I, I, I don't think so. I think that's a little early. Um, and uh, I think we, we're just in the early innings of this whole story. That will eventually happen. And, and so what, what do you think of the opportunities? I, I have to assume that there's a lot of folks that, you know, a lot of these researchers, a lot of these data scientists, a lot of these entrepreneurs in the space, maybe they don't care that much about money. Like Sam Altman didn't own any shares supposedly Yet. in OpenAI. And this is a company that since he's been the CEO has gone from zero to 80s 
six billion. Just think of that on, on in, in paper wealth that might have represented. And it does seem that the board got their antennas up about some of the things that he wanted to do for profit as it relates to trip development and the yeah. like here. And maybe that. So I'm I just think, I think the whole thing didn't work, right? Yeah. <laughs> pretty much structure the, of, of the arrangement. Yeah, look, it's a really hard problem because of the power of AI and need all the the societal questions that it raises. So famously, OpenAI is this like Frankenstein kind of structure, nonprofit, but also very much for profit with a CEO that doesn't own any equity. I think that the clear conclusion is that has not worked out. And it feels like it needs to be either way, right? Either you have an independent nonprofit company that's focused on safety and humanity, the future for humanity. And this is immensely important, by the way. And I think the whole thing that we were talking about, I think is really important. And it in fact shows that Silicon Valley has soul in a way that people have accused it to be like ruthlessly all about money, but actually that's showing that it has soul. So it either has to be that or it has to be for profit. It was actually amazing, you know, of, of all things throughout the weekend on, on X uh, to see people actually say that VCs on boards is a good thing, which, you know, was not on my bingo card for 2023 <laughs> as uh, people have been making fun of VCs. But the corporate governance is something that that is anti-fragile, that has evolved over a long period of time through the ups and the downs and the volatility. And uh, there's a reason for that. And VCs on boards are not perfect. For-profit incentives are not perfect, but it clearly works. Isn't it interesting that we're bookending a, a year from FTX's collapse in, in late 2022 to, uh, let's essentially say, maybe the collapse of open AI. And when you think about due diligence, this is a topic that Rick and I have talked a lot about on the pod. And I think that's your point about having VCs on board. Sam's board at FTX, like there was no corporate governance. And, and again, very different mission, very different company, and but an odd structure. And, and there was but a lot of first name though, yeah. Sam and Sam. Yeah, it means something. It does mean something. <laughs> but the way that VCs or strategics were throwing money and resources at both of these anointed geniuses, I think is really interesting. Who knows how this shakes out a little bit. What about from a VC perspective? And this was where I was getting it with maybe some of these researchers or some of these people. If they believe that this is one of the biggest technologies of this century, right? Maybe they don't care. Think about the structure of OpenAI. Think about the founders of this company. Think about the original mission. Are there going to be some brilliant folks that leave that you're going to want to back to do something really interesting? Like all of a sudden, I could see you becoming extremely busy with the collapse of OpenAI. I mean, these people are not going to want to go work at Microsoft or Alphabet or Amazon or Salesforce. You know, that's and do meetings on Teams. And do meetings on Teams. Yeah, <laughs> I still don't know how. We're three years after the pandemic. I don't yeah, know yeah. how to use. No, I, I, look, I, absolutely. I, I think again, all of this creates lots of opportunities for VCs and entrepreneurs, and I think talent is going to be more available than certainly it was. But uh, still, ultimately, there's a finite number of those people. It's AI for all the talk about commoditization is still, in my opinion, very much frontier, deep tech. And there's only so many people in the world that know how to do the things and they command very high salaries. But yes, uh, there's a bunch of people that are now going to be fair play for some startups. Let's think about it through, again, your lens now as a board member. Let's. Uh, I'm just going to throw these names out. I'm obviously not asking for anything specific about like that you talk to with these companies. But let's uh, say with a data IQ and a synthesia, like these are companies that have been very active in the space. I'm sure they're active recruiting talent always, that yes. sort of thing, right? They're partnered with probably a lot of these different companies, use their products and services and the like to build. What are some of like the focal points right now? Because I'm sure this has been a busy few days and will continue to be, but I probably, uh, it's probably safe to assume there's nothing but like greater opportunity right now with the, some of the fragmentation of one of the biggest players in the space. Yeah, look, I, I think the advice for uh, all those companies, as always, 
always when things get very noisy is to to the largest thing tune out the noise. Certainly be opportunistic for talent and all those things, but like run your own race, heads down, focus on what makes you great. That's certainly the kind of conversations we've been uh, having with them. Companies like Didaiku are very interesting when things keep moving in all sorts of different directions and unpredictable directions because ultimately they were a platform and at some point people wanted to run on Hadoop and then they wanted to run on cloud and then they wanted to run on Snowflake and a platform like Didaku was just able to incorporate those different parts of the ecosystem into their platform. And for generative AI uh, it's, it's been the same thing. So they released recently an LLM mesh which is basically an orchestration layer so they just partnered with Databricks they partnered with Cohere, they partnered with Pinecone. So they're just plugging all of this into their platform. So I think they're very well positioned from that perspective. All right. Let's talk a little bit about the Mad Podcast with Matt Turk. Because again, I've been listening to it. It's a confluence of some one-on-one conversations like this, some sort of firesides in public environments. You also obviously run data-driven NYC, which is something you've been doing for a long time. And you're incorporating a lot of this content that you've been creating under the First Mark umbrella. But obviously you have mattturk.com where you blog too. Talk to us a little bit about what are some of the conversations that you've been having on the podcast? Who are some of the folks that you've been having and how are those likely to change over the next few months or so? Because I feel these conversations might get a bit more lively on the pod there. <laughs> yeah. I'm a VC, so of course I have to have a podcast. Yeah, like I don't make the rules. It's, it's, like you, know, you have yeah, a Twitter yeah, account. Yeah, yeah exactly. And, yeah. You have to. And it, it's been a wonderful experience. It's basically an excuse to reach out to all sorts of interesting folks and have one-on-one conversations and, and learn from them. Look, time and again, I'm struck by the gap between the whole like Twitter, zeitgeist kind of conversation and the reality of the conversation that you have with practitioners whether they are entrepreneurs or researchers and so on and so forth. Let's just take AI dumerism, for example, that obviously a very important topic, but that amplified on social networks everywhere. Meanwhile, all the conversations I have on the podcast or otherwise with uh, people that truly are living and breathing AI from a technical standpoint throughout the day, the topic of dumerism and, and AI is going to kill us all basically doesn't come up. Nobody really believes that. People are, are curious like, about seems, it, and I want to. Like Elon kind of believes in it a little bit, doesn't he? Or no? Yeah. Look, uh, different people have different agenda. Not my words, but somebody was saying that you know it has a little bit of a savior complex and a needs to save humanity from something. And AI is a great thing to save humanity from. Different people have. Did he, have has uh, he seen 2001: A Space Odyssey? I because you know, it feels like that could be the confluence of a lot of his his saviors. Yeah. It doesn't end particularly well. Sorry for the spoiler. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> by the way. I guess I'm, I'm surprised that not everybody knows, but Elon was one of the co-founders yeah. of, um, of OpenAI. I mean, it's just amazing. Fall, but he had a big falling out over a lot of these sorts of issues. Yes, exactly. Yeah, and yeah. That, that was the, the the beginning of the transition from nonprofit to for-profit. Yeah. Last thing, l- l- let's hit this a little bit because we haven't even mentioned Meta. Okay, so Meta has this Llama, which yes. is this open source. So can you shed some light a little bit about, again, what OpenAI's mission was, what some of their competitors are doing, and then what Mark Zuckerberg's believe in? Mark Zuckerberg and in, in Elon have famously sparred over AI and, and, the, and the likes, and they have two very different views. But Zuckerberg and, and Meta have gone down this open source sort yep. of model. So give us a sense for that, and then maybe how some of the companies that you're working with, advising, investing in, are thinking about the 
open source versus yeah uh, so I, I think that's a, a super smart move meta a little bit like google was caught flat-footed by the whole thing in that uh, meta with fair uh, in particular has had one of the very very best ai research teams out there for a long time mm -hmm. led by by yam lacan in particular and then the whole ChatGPT thing happened and it was unclear what Meta was going to do. I think that their response has been amazing. So Meta has a long tradition of open sourcing a lot of stuff. Mm -hmm. Their decision to responsibly open source Llama, in particular Llama 2, was a great idea and very much welcomed by the industry. I think that, that was particularly important before OpenAI went through this. I think that's even more important. I think we, we need a rich ecosystem mm -hmm. of different startups, different technologies, and Yes, some of it can be closed source, but open source is extremely important. So obviously we need to do open source mm -hmm. safely because you don't want open source to land in the wrong hands. But I think that that's f for the future of AI, that's really important. So companies like Hugging Face do a really good job mm -hmm. there. I think Meta is playing an immensely important role. And in terms of what we're advising companies, not just the companies that we invest in, but the enterprise the customers that those companies mm -hmm. serve, a, a multi-pronged strategy, the AI version of multi-cloud, I think is mm -hmm. what makes the most sense. I think you want to have a combination of commercial models mm -hmm. delivered through a SaaS hosted kind of way, mm -hmm. but you want to have your own models. You want to play around and build models based on open source. I think you need to just not to get yourself in a vendor locking kind of situation. Last question here, and again, this is me putting my fast money hat on, is Alphabet, Google. Okay, again, this is a $1.7 trillion market cap company. Again, when we, I think like early this year, when we were talking about what chat GPT-4 and, and what that meant for the landscape in general. At the time, Google Alphabet was trading very poorly. A stock was like, they had the BARD release that did not go particularly well. And there was like the market, the, at least public market investors were anointing winners and losers. And it's interesting that stock was 90, now it's 140-ish or something like that. So it's very near its 52-week highs. They've been perceived behind the eight ball a little bit. They've just pushed out the release of Gemini. So how are you thinking about Alphabet? And are we thinking about it too short term of a lens? here, you know what I mean, a little bit, because I have to assume Sundar, he's not getting his Satya moment right now, but I, I feel like there is one for him probably coming in the not so distant future in a way. Oh yeah, I would 100% not bet against yeah. uh, Google <laughs> Alphabet yeah. for sure. Again, all of this is coming from them originally, mm -hmm. and I think Bard and Gemini are a super important part of the ecosystem. Yeah. And look, there's a deep mind slash Google research, which emerged. They have some of the very best minds mm -hmm. in the industry, and they have all the distribution, all the brands. Uh, I think there's like, just tremendous potential. And, and again, like they, they're one of the big winners yeah. of what just happened. All right, listen, that was great. I really was trying to attack this through a slightly different sort of point of view. We really appreciate, obviously, your analysis because, again, you are invested in space. You've been uh, writing about it. You've been blogging about it. You've been tweeting about it. You've been putting out your MAD report for 10 years. You are not a Johnny-come-lately. You sit on AI boards. Matt Turk. First Mark Capital, the Mad Podcast with Matt Turk. Thanks for joining us on OK Computer. I hope to have you back really soon. Thanks for having me. If you like what you heard, make sure to hit follow and leave us a review. It helps other people find the show. We also want to hear from you. Email us at contact at riskreversal.com.